You're now listening to Real Talk with Ryan David. Hi, how are you? Hello. Hello. What's up with the vanilla face? How you doing? What's happening? Welcome to the fifth episode of Real Talk with Ryan David. Appreciate you following along, keeping up with the episodes. Uh, If you're a returning listener, welcome back. If you're a first-time listener, thank you. Thank you for downloading. Thank you for listening. Uh, Appreciate your support. All of you all, hope you enjoy it. And remember to give me some feedback, uh, regardless of what the topic is, if you have that. Today, I want to talk about self-esteem. More specifically, I want to talk about the ingredients and the influence and factors. So there's a lot of factors that contribute to your current self-esteem, the self-esteem that you have right now, some of those factors you're responsible for and some of which are not your fault at all, regardless of what the cause or the influencing factors are or were, we all can actively do some things to increase our self-esteem and strengthen a relationship that we have with ourselves. And sometimes we don't realize that, we don't know that, we feel helpless, but we absolutely can influence our own self-esteem and and raise it and and strengthen the, the relationship that we have with ourselves. And that's really what it's all about. Self-esteem is more or less a global term. It's a global term that encompasses really uh, the relationship that you have for yourself, the general fondness that you have for yourself, the self-love you have overall for you holistically as a person. It doesn't break down into certain areas necessarily of your life specifically or different days, different times. It just encompasses overall a general, general kind of vibe or feeling that you have for yourself, whether positive or negative. So general uh, self-esteem is a general concept. There are some specific concepts that will influence and can impact your overall self-esteem. And I want to talk a little bit, just really briefly, I'll hit on each one of them. And then I want to get to the Mac Daddy of them all, parental influences and parenting styles. Those are external and those are outside of our control, but they absolutely have an impact on our self-esteem and, and how we feel about ourselves and how we see ourselves currently. And um, the, the motivation for doing this show today, doing this episode on self-esteem comes from an ex- experience that I had with one of my students after class earlier this week. I taught this same, this subject in two different classes, actually. I taught self-esteem in two different, of, two different classes. Um, I taught this lesson on self-esteem in two different classes of mine this week. And in one of them, I had a situation where I spoke to a student after class and it really touched me. It moved me. Um, and I wanted to share that experience with you all. I wanted to share that experience. And I thought, well, let me give you all the backstory or at least some of the 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 fake meat and potatoes <laughs> to the to the to the lecture. So you kind of understand why she had the response that she had and why the conversation went the way that it did. By the way, I say fake meat because I don't eat meat. So I'm not going to use that analogy. All right. And I'm not going to use that cliche or that metaphor. Meat and potatoes. Is that it? Was that a cliche? Yeah, cliche. Regardless, moving forward. Uh, beans and rice. How about that? I feel you all in on the beans and rice of the of the lecture. I don't know. This doesn't have the same fullness to it, but that's because meat and potatoes fill you up. And by the way, the reason why you feel so full when you eat meat and potatoes at the same time is because your body produces different enzymes to break down carbohydrates than it does to break down protein. So if you eat both of those foods simultaneously in large amounts, big steak, big potato at the same time, your body has to produce two different types of enzymes that kind of work against each other or they kind of cancel each other out to put it simply. 
point is it takes extra long for that, those foods to digest in your system. Maybe you didn't want to know that. Maybe you didn't care to know that, but I dropped it on you because this is my show and that's what I do. So there you go. You learned something today. You can look it up, Google it, you know, and find out what the details are. And that's a simple, simple explanation of it. But that's the deal. So back to the lecture at hand, literally. So the lecture was about self-esteem and the ingredients and some of the things that went into self-esteem. And I'm going to tell you what those things are now, just for you to know for yourself, think about your own life, but also to give you the backdrop of what went on in class so you know kind of why this student had the reaction that she had. When we're talking about self-esteem, there's a lot of things that influence and impact the way you feel about yourself. One of the main influencing factors as far as how you feel about yourself has to do with how you view yourself or how you see yourself. That's called your self-concept. We all have, sometimes consciously, but most of the time, unconsciously, an idea or a concept or a paradigm or a description of who we are, how we see ourselves. So your self-concept would be if you just made a list of who you are, all your attributes, positive, negative, otherwise, you just make a list. It's not how you feel about that list yet. The list is just a list. It's just a concept. It's just who you are, a descriptive list. That's your self-concept. So you can have a self-concept of someone who is you know, lazy, slow, stupid, rude, ignorant, uh, not worthy, whatever you can put on that list. That's not a real positive self-concept. And then on the other hand, you can have a self-concept that's very positive in nature, outgoing, um, you know, strong, uh, charismatic, uh, smart, uh, fast, athletic. All these things are something else, other things that could be on your list. We all have our own self-concept. Sometimes we're not aware of what that self-concept is. And when we do become aware of what that self-concept is, we can see what we either see ourselves as or what we're, we tend to focus on. Because we all have positive and negative attributes. We all have things about ourselves that are good and bad. But a lot of the times, we'll focus on one side of the list and not the other. And if your self-esteem is affected in a negative way, you might be focusing on a lot of the negative aspects of yourself. So it's good to find out what your self-concept is, how you see yourself, what's the list, how you describe yourself, how do you think of yourself. And the way your self-esteem is affected by that is because when you look at that list or you think about that list or you refer to that list or you're reminded about that list, you're going to feel some type of way about it. Hence, the effect on your self-esteem. So your self-concept and how you see yourself, describe yourself, think about yourself is going to absolutely impact and affect how you feel about yourself. So your self-concept is number one. Another thing that really can impact how good we feel about ourselves and our relationship with ourselves has to do with something that Carl Rogers talked about. And Carl Rogers was really a father in the field of uh, humanistic psychology. And Carl Rogers talked about the discrepancy and the gap between your real self and your ideal self. In other words, who you really are every single day, look yourself in the mirror, who you know you really are. You know all your skills, your attributes, your abilities. You are who you are, your real self, and then your ideal self, who you ideally would like to be, are striving to be, want to be, feel like you need to be, or have to be, or should be, that's your ideal self. For some of us, that ideal self is within reach. It's right there. We can see it. It's a little bit further. We got to work a little bit harder, but we can see it. It's realistic. It's within reach. So the gap is small. When the gap is small between who you really are and who you're trying to be, or feel like you should be when that gap is small, your self-esteem is relatively high in, in terms of that relationship there. When there's a large gap between who you really are and who you think you should be, who you have to be, who you want to be, that large gap is going to leave you feeling helpless to some extent. And then you're going to, obviously your self-esteem is going to suffer. So when we're talking about our ideal self, we have to look and see, is it my ideal self first? Am I trying to be this ideal person because I want to be? Or is it because I think that I should be, because of society, because of my spouse, because of 
my parents? Why am I striving to be this person and how far away, how realistic is it? So your ideal self can be somebody that you think you should be or you have to be for other people and it might not be realistic. So take a look at your ideal self. See how far away it is. The example I always give is of a student who's an F student. If you ask that F student to be an A student next week, Fat chance. It's not going to happen. You ask that F student to be an A student that nine weeks, it's going to be tough for that student to do. They're not even going to start because it's so difficult for them to even comprehend going from an F to an A. They're not even going to make the initiative. They're going to feel badly about themselves. They're going to look at where they already are, and that's going to stay where it is. But if you ask that F student to cop a D, maybe to get a D or a C, possibly a C, but at least a D, well, now maybe they can do that. That gap is a little bit smaller. They feel a little bit better about starting and trying to pick it up just a tad bit. And then when they get to a D or C, you work it up to C or B and so on and so forth. But the point is you have to close that gap. The bigger that gap is, the more your self-esteem is going to be affected. The next thing that I talk about is your self-worth. A lot of the times we look outside of ourselves to see what our value is. What's your self-worth? What, are you, what, what makes you worthy compared to everybody else? And the big mistake that we make is we look at, at our lives, we look externally at our lives, and we see, well, what are we worth? What's our value? We look at what we have. We look at what we can do. Uh, we look at what we've accomplished. Uh, we, we look at external things about us and our lives compared to other people. That's the wrong way to look at self-worth. Ideally, your value and self-worth should be based on the core of who you are, which is invaluable. Your experiences, your opinions, your wisdom, your intelligence, your perspective is all unique. And there's no one else walking the face of the earth that has that. The same things that you do. You are a one of one, I tell my students. There's only one of you, and there's only one of everybody else. Therefore, the playing field is level. So that has inherent value to it. Like that, There's a core value there where you're a one of one. Nobody else walking the face of the earth has to offer or provide what you do. So that is what your self-worth is based on. It's a good reminder just to level the playing field. Everything else is just icing on the cake, what you can do, what you can accomplish, what you can buy. All that stuff is just extras. So your self-worth is worth looking at. Obviously, you need to look and see. If you don't feel worthy and you feel less than everybody else, obviously, then your, your self-esteem is going to take a hit. And then, um, and then one more really uh, important point. Uh, it's a kind of a twofer. It's, it's a two-part deal. There's negative self-talk and irrational beliefs. So negative self-talk would be that running dialogue in your head where you consistently put yourself down, call yourself names. You kind of bash yourself on a regular basis or you talk to yourself in a way, you talk down to yourself, you put yourself down in your own head with your own voice and you talk to yourself in a negative way, in a way that you would never stand for anybody else to talk to you or talk about you. So we have to really examine what our negative self-talk is and we have to substitute that for a little bit more empowering, positive self-talk. And then irrational beliefs our beliefs or absolute shoulds that we hold on to, they're really unrealistic rules. Everybody should like me. I should never fail. Uh, these kind of unrealistic rules that we have that we set for ourselves set us up for failure because they're absolute in nature and they're irrational. Everyone should like me. I should never have to say no or I should never say no to people or all these shoulds, they're, they're irrational and they can set you up for failure and, and give you a lot of anxiety. So I should pass every class. I should always get A's. Good luck with that, right? So irrational beliefs can make you feel badly about what you do, what you don't do as well. So those are just some key points that I make, and I expand on those a little bit, but those all have, those are all relevant, and they all have an impact, and they influence your self-esteem in some way, shape, or form. The Mac Daddy of them all, though, like I said, parenting styles and parental influences. The things I just mentioned previously, self-concept, ideal self, real self, self-worth, negative self-talk irrational beliefs. Those are things that you can become aware of. You can shift. You can change. You can start to, to alter right now and take active control over them to really 
influence and increase, you know, how you feel about yourself on an everyday basis. You, you're in control of those because those are all internal for the most part. But a lot of us got to where we are and we've carried a certain self-esteem with us for a certain reason. And a lot of that oftentimes, most of the time, a big chunk of what your self-esteem is and why it's been affected or impacted the way that it has, you might not realize it, you might not have known it, had to do with how your parents raised you how they interacted with you, and what their style was. There are certain parenting styles. There's a certain parenting style that's most conducive or supportive in facilitating or fostering a positive, healthy self-esteem in a child. And if parents, even though they're doing their best, go about things in any other way, their style may contradict facilitating a positive self-esteem in a child. So I'll go over what those parenting styles are briefly, and you might identify with some or maybe not. You might identify with some and not others or identify with more than one, but I'm going to just give you the gist of what the three are so you can understand what they are. And this is good for any parents out there listening to understand how you're interacting with your children, what you're doing uh, that may affect and may be affecting or impacting their self-esteem. This is good for any students, any any children out there, any, any young adults, I should say. Kids are welcome to listen too, but any young adults out there that are listening that really are currently maybe trying to get an understanding and better understanding of themselves and, and, and their self-esteem and maybe how things have affected. This maybe will give you some insight as to how you maybe have been affected by your parents. So the parenting styles really briefly are the authoritarian parenting style, the authoritative parenting style, and the permissive parenting style. Now, the permissive parenting style has two parts to it, permissive indulgent and permissive indifferent. I'll touch on those briefly in a second, but let's get back to the two big A's. Authoritarian and authoritative. Real quick first, authoritarian. An authoritarian parenting style is very similar to a military style type mentality mindset. I say like the drill instructor kind of mindset. And we all think of maybe a drill instructor as someone who's strict, disciplined. You don't talk back. You follow orders. You do what they say because they say they do it. And that's the end of it. There's no give and take. There's no conversation. There's no leeway. It is what it is. And you follow orders because. That's the style of parenting that authoritarian parents have. They assume that the child is incompetent and they have to do everything and structure everything and and everything they tell the child to do is what they need to do because that's what's best for the child. And they do this with children pretty much if this is a parenting style and it doesn't change, they'll treat a five-year-old the same way they treat a 15-year-old or I should say vice versa. They'll treat a 15-year-old the same way they treated them when they were five. So it's, it's just a very, very strict disciplinarian style type of parenting that has no give and take, no conversation, no understanding, no explanation. Um, and really no, little to no really love and affection and, and connection in that sense as well. That is not going to foster a healthy self-esteem in a child. Now, before you get up in arms and you go crazy and you shoot me an email and you're like, but my mom and dad were both authoritarian and I'm doing fine. Great. You're the exception. That's the bottom line. There's exceptions to all this stuff, but generally speaking, an authoritarian parenting style is going to lead to a child that has a less than adequate self-esteem or feeling about them, positive feeling about themselves. So authoritarian, not a good look. That tends to happen sometimes. The other style, the big A, two big A's, authoritarian is first. Authoritative is the other one. Now, authoritative parenting style gets a bad rap, off, bad rap oftentimes because they're seen as soft. They're seen as if they're not authoritarian, they must be soft. They must not have any boundaries. That's absolutely not the case. An authoritarian parenting style is a kind of a hybrid between all parenting styles with an emphasis on allowing the child the space and the room to grow within a structured type of uh, environment or parenting style. So with an authoritative parenting style, the parent is sets boundaries. There are consequences and there is discipline involved, but they evolve and they grow with the child. 
So as the child matures, grows, they give them a little more responsibility as time goes on, and they allow them the opportunity to succeed or fail. And within the boundaries that they set for them, they watch and they monitor and they explain why this was a good idea, why that was a bad decision, why there are consequences with that, why this is the discipline that you're going to have. And there's understanding of why we do what we do, why we should, why we shouldn't. And there's, it's a learning process. But they also grow and evolve and adapt and, and, and they move with the child because you're not preparing a child to deal with the real world if you treat a 15-year-old like you treat a 5-year-old. By the time that 15-year-old becomes 14, 15, 16, by the time that young child becomes a teenager, they are seeing the world, they understand the world, and they're smarter, and they're in a different place maturity-wise and as far as the pressures and what's going on in their world, no matter where they are, um, and their abilities have changed now to where you're not maximizing and, and tapping into what they're capable of to help them understand themselves in a way to where when they get out in the real world, they can function and flourish optimally. So you're really stunting their growth. And oftentimes this ends badly. It ends in a handful of ways. The child gets to a certain age and just breaks free and runs away, leaves the home. Um, sometimes they'll rebel and it'll be really chaotic in the household because there's so much strife because they're trying to hold them down and put them under your thumb and they just push back because they haven't really had any room to breathe at all. Uh, and then sometimes they'll just grit and bear it. They'll just, you know, swallow it and they'll just take it on the chin and that they'll just deal with it for 18 years or however long until they get out the house. Then they leave the house and they go absolutely buck wild because they have all this freedom they don't know what to do with. They don't know how to handle it. They're absolutely free and they go off the other end of the cliff, you know, or they turn 18, 20, whenever they get out of the house and they're so uncertain and insecure about who they are, what they need to do, that they're so reserved. They don't take any chances or any risks. They don't know how to interact with the world. Bottom line is not a good look for that parenting style to stick around and stay there. It's not a good look. So what the authoritarian parenting style is missing that the authoritative parenting style has is the nurturing, the affection, the conversation, the understanding, and some boundaries. But an authoritative parenting style, the most beneficial and positive one for self-esteem, absolutely has discipline built into it. And by the way, we're thinking, well, okay, that sounds, what if I had two parents, one of them's authoritarian, one of them's authoritative? Well, as long as a child got, was, had some sort of interaction with an authoritative parent, they can, they can, that can really help and, and boost their, their self-esteem and foster that. It, it, it only really takes one and that interaction, that understanding, that, that kind of thing. Um, and then also don't get, don't get confused. Uh, the parent, the single parent that is raising a child that has to be extremely strict and disciplined and very disciplined with the child, but yet gives some attention and some love and affection as well. They seem to be authoritarian because they're so strict, but they're really just trying to run the household and compensate for being an, an only parent. That could be a case too. So those are the two Big ones, uh, the authoritarian and authoritative parenting style. Authoritative obviously being the most conducive to a positive self-esteem, healthy self-esteem in the child. Um, permissive, indulgent, permissive, indifferent. Both of those, neither one of those is a good look. They both have negative consequences, but real quick what they are. Permissive, indifferent is that parent who does not care. It's that parent who is permissive, allows the child to do whatever the child wants, and they don't care what the child's doing and is not a part of the child's life. So permissive and different is if you go over someone's house at 1030 on a Thursday night and you ask them where their four-year-old is, they say, I don't know, he was climbing trees out back 15 minutes ago. As long as he stays outside and stays out of my face, I don't really care what he does. That's a permissive, indifferent, a.k.a. neglectful parent. That's a, but that's a parenting style. And unfortunately, there are parents that, that parent that way. All right, so that's obviously going to be not productive for the child to understand their role, their boundaries, their, themselves, and, and things like that. So needless to say, yes, unfortunately, I know firsthand that, that dealing with parents for a long time, 
that does take place. That does happen. And typically, those are parents that are unfit. They're not ready. The child was an accident, quote unquote. It was not intentional. Um, it, the child's unwanted, and they treat the child as such, or they interact with the child as such. That's permissive, indifferent. Permissive indulgent is that parent who absolutely is involved with the child's life and overly indulges the child in any and every way they possibly can, spoils the child as much as they can. Child does well, does good, spoil the child, give them everything they want. Child gets upset, child not happy, give them everything they want to try and make them happy. That's not what we want to do. This creates a situation where the child does not know boundaries. The child does not know limits. The child does not know that what no means at all. The child grows up and the boy grows up and thinks he can do whatever he wants, say whatever he wants to whoever he wants, and he'll get his way because he owns the world because he was always treated like that. This is the girl that grows up and thinks that she's a princess and expects everybody else to lay down, you know, in front of her and, and treat her like a princess. No, it's not the way it happens. And they're going to have, you know, a, a, a harsh wake up call. But we, we, we create that as parents if we overindulge them and we do not set boundaries. Boundaries are a good thing because, you know, we, we function within boundaries in, in life. So those are the parenting styles that really, depending on who and how you interacted with your parents and what parenting style I don't have time to get into influences. I won't get into really influences. Influence have to do with whether they held you with unconditional positive regard and loved you no matter what, regardless of how you behaved. They didn't like what you did, but they loved you. Whereas the opposite is conditional regard, where they only loved you if you produced A's or they only loved you if you did good in your games. Those influences are not good either. Obviously, we want to have parents that have unconditional positive regard for you. So positive, uh, I'm sorry, parental influences, parenting styles, those can absolutely impact, directly impact your self-esteem. And so you might want to just take a good look, obviously, and think about maybe why or how maybe your self-esteem might have been affected or is affected by how you interacted with your caregiver. Because believe it or not, that could have something to do with it. You might want to look at some of the other things I mentioned earlier on, because how you see yourself, how you view yourself, how you feel about yourself, it's all related. And it could have something to do with some things that you can absolutely tweak and change, that negative self-talk, irrational beliefs, that sort of thing. How you view your worth, what you put your eggs in, what basket you put your eggs in, or if it's internal. Um, those are the things that really can influence and impact your self-esteem. Uh, so just so that you know firsthand, that's, that's information for you to look at with yourself. So I gave that information to my class and I had a lecture on self-esteem and covered all those things really in depth and class was over and everyone left and the room was empty. I was packing up my things and as I was packing up my things, the door opened and in walked one of my students and she came over to me. And uh, as she walked up, I said, hey, what's up? She said, uh, I don't know if you noticed, um, but I was trying not to break down in class. And she sits towards the front somewhat. And I said, no, no, I, I, didn't, I didn't notice. What's up? She said, your lecture tonight, it really, really hit home. And I said, oh, yeah? And I could see she's trying not to break down. She's starting to kind of, you know, you can just see it in someone's face when they're trying not to cry. She says, um, can you tell me something so that I can go home? And before she can get those words out, the tears start rolling down her face. And, and I'm thinking, what do you mean? What, what do you mean tell you something so that you can go home? And as she's crying, she says, I was the accident. I was an accident. My parents don't care about me. And she's crying as she's telling me this. She says, if I go home like this, with this on my mind and feeling like this, I'll start crying. And I won't know what to do or how to explain it to my parents, to my dad, because they don't listen to me and they don't care. And I won't know what to do. And I went on and kind of put my counselor hat on for a second and tried to just explore why she was feeling the way that she was and, and what the details were for the most part as far as why she had these beliefs and she felt the way that she did. Um, she said, they don't care about me. I walk around feeling like shit because of it all day, every day. 
And um, it's because of, you know, how, how they don't really pay attention to my needs and what I need. And I'm not talking about when I want new shoes. She gave me the example. She said one time I, I had a rash and I had something that, you know, medically was really bothering me and, and I wanted to go to urgent care and they didn't want to spend the money for urgent care. But she said yet every weekend they spend $400, $500 and going out on the boat, drinks and stuff, food to go out in the boat with their friends. And, um, you know, she's old enough to understand this. She's, she's 17, 18 years old. She understands that this doesn't make sense. This isn't right. And so obviously she feels you know, horrible about this. And so she says, I'm not a priority. I'm just not a priority. Um, you know, mom and dad are divorced and, and dad's remarried. And, you know, I have a spotty relationship with both of them. They kind of dumped me on my grandma earlier on who treated me poorly as well. They're not, none of them are supportive. Um, and they've been this way my whole life. Um, and I, and I thought about it and I thought, well, hold on a second. I'm thinking if, if this is the case, man, how in the hell did you get to where you are right now? And that's kind of where I turned the conversation and I got her to really look at how she's, you know, the epitome of a success story. As, as challenging as things are, as crappy as things are, and as jacked up as they are and, and messed up as her, her parents have been to her and how she feels about the way, you know, they have or haven't treated her. I got her to look at everything she's done in spite of what's going on there. Because the reality is I, I can't do anything about her parents. And to be honest, she can't either. And so I really changed the conversation towards what she can focus on in a positive light, which is her strengths, what's gotten her where she's gotten, and also the light at the end of the tunnel where she's going to need to start making some moves to get out of that situation and not um, surround herself by them. And also to take advantage of the fact that she does have, you know, a roof over her head and food right now that she can take advantage of that to get herself in a position to be better later on. But it's just horrible. It's horrible to see a real life example. And this isn't the first time, not that, not the first time that, one of my students has come up to me at the class uh, and spoken to me about something like this. And it's not the first time, obviously, as a counselor for over 10 years that I've talked to students who go through this reality at home. But I guess I just share that story. Um, and again, like what I focused on with her was I got her to look at how successful she's been. She's a you know, great a, straight A student, A's and B's. She loves school. She loses herself in school. She distracts herself with school all by her own will. You know, she's motivated on her own to do what she needs to do. And she's driven and she got herself over to college. They never checked her report card. They didn't ask her what was going on with school. She did it. And I got her to look at that. Sometimes we have to look at what we've done and what we can do and who we are instead of what we don't have, what we've lost and what we're not. And I tried to get her to see that because she needs to focus on that to get her through this pain and really kind of do that. But I, I give you all that example and I share that story because this is a real life example that just happened this week of how much of an impact we have on our children as parents and also how fragile the self-esteem is when it comes to children and how, what foundation we can lay for them and really get them off, you know, to a to a to a good start. And so for her, you know, like anybody else, I got her to really kind of accept the way things have been, look at what she can't control, look at what she can and focus on what she can and move forward. Uh, but that that kind of um, I actually had a different show, a uh, different episode I want to do today. I actually had some different content I wanted to go over. But I got home from class and I said, no, nah, I got to scratch that. I got to do I got to do an episode on this this situation, this incident and share some information with uh, with this episode. So. That's the that's the story I want to share with you all, and that's that's the it was relevant to self esteem, and that's the content I wanted to give to you all for today. So uh, I'll leave it there. That's episode five. I want to talk a little bit about self esteem and the role that our parenting styles can can have on our self esteem and some other factors. So I hope you enjoyed it. I hope it was useful. I hope it was knowledgeable. I hope really kind of it helps you understand some things for yourself and maybe your loved ones a little bit better. Share it with somebody you think that maybe could use it or benefit from that knowledge, that information. 
uh, that I just shared. Uh, give me the feedback as well. You can hit me up on any social media at the Ryan David. Obviously, you can email me podcast at the Ryan David. Um, give me some feedback. Let me know what you want. Otherwise, stay tuned for the next episode. It'll be episode six, and I'll see you when I see you sometime here soon. Thanks again. Peace. You see, we're putting the cover sheets on all TPS reports now before they go out. Bye, Felicia. Yo, Barry, you did it. Hey! Don't you ever say that again.